come home and they would they would put on a new clothes right that's that's horrible that they would get more poison ivy i forgot how i was going to follow that up but uh, <laughs> but uh, 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 another a, a couple other crazy things you could do is um uh uh, you can go into a, a, a wall a world or a major grocery chain or something uh, with a backpack full of uh, cement mix into the bathroom and you can just start fl flushing uh, powdered concrete and it will just ruin the entire system. It'll just solidify in the entire system. Yeah, at the system. <laughs> and, um, or, or you can have a backpack with a, a big magnet in it and you can walk by all the TVs and electronics <laughs> and that'll just, that'll mess with that up, but and uh, and uh, um, and, and but it's it, it, it's really important to uh, I really forget how I was supposed to lead up to telling you to treat to treat each other better. I I, I had a lead up to that, but. Aww. a story about Minnie the Moocha. She was a low-down hoochie-coochie. She was the roughest, toughest gal. But Minnie had a heart as big as a whale.
I'd like to welcome y'all here tonight for a show that I hope will be quite out of sight and quite out of mind because that's where we'll find some important things we may have left behind. Please look around, you'll see quite clearly all the parts of life that we hold so dearly. But it's not just what you see that you get. There's a lot going on that we don't know about yet. Why don't you take, for example, the scene around me, people in a circle. It seems to remind me of a story often told, yet seldom heard. A story of someone who tried to say a word. But no one was listening, so no one could hear. The word just floated off into the air, flew up and up, landed on a cloud. There it waited, waited, never called out loud. Now that word's still waiting right there today for someone to listen, for somebody to say, let me hear that word. Though I may not believe it, but I'm gonna give it a chance to perceive it. So we never found out if the word was true. Is it true for me? Could it be true for you? If it's true for one, must it be true for all? I guess we'll find out when spirit calls. But back to the scene, which you may recognize. A group of different people all leading our lives. We're not birds of a feather. But we flock together. We all need a tarp to keep out the weather. We share work and chores cause we're mostly poor. We can't hire a maid or butler to open the doors, but we put our dough together. So when we make bread, everybody in the house gets equally fed. We call it a rainbow for lack of better name. Anyone can join, we're all treated the same. Cause the house is equal opportunity. No matter age, sex, color, gender, sexuality. I'll say one last thing before we get out. The things we can never know about. So before you judge what's in front of you, just remember that there's more than one point of view. Now it's finally time that we're gonna get started. I'll remind you all, stay open-hearted and keep an open mind. That's where we'll find some important things we may have left behind. My name is Hallie. And I'm going to tell you a story about a butterfly collector named Chang, whoa, who lived far ago and long away from now and here. North Dakota, huh? <laughs> In the area where Chang lived, it was vibrant and green and full of animals and sunshine and rain. <clears throat> and the butterflies flourished. And it was a very in thing to give butterflies as presents. And there was something for everyone. Even the simplest, smallest butterfly could be caught and pinned to paper or pressed between a thin layer of glass. And even the poorest young man could give the gift of a butterfly to his sweetheart. <coughs> But there was such variety, there was such diversity in all life, but especially the butterflies. And there were these enormous, super crazy, colorful, complicated, intricate designed butterflies that the wealthiest families would purchase. And they'd keep for generations on their walls with pride for everyone to admire. And Chang was one of the best butterfly collectors 
not just because he was skilled, but most of all, because he loved to do it. <clears throat> when he was running through the meadows, chasing after these prancing magical creatures fluttering on the breeze, he was filled with such a joy, he couldn't believe that this was his daily work. And he would run after the butterflies. He got so much out of the chase, out of seeing them, out of watching them land on flowers and drink of the nectar. He loved what he did. And at the end of every workday, he would go home to his family. <clears throat> he would go into the shop. He'd pin his butterflies for, for the, from the day. And then he'd go have dinner with his family and lay himself down to sleep. And as rich and colorful and exciting <clears throat> as his days were, his nights were dark, empty, dreamless sleep. And from time to time, he'd be with his friends and they would be talking about their dreams. You wouldn't believe what I dreamed last night. And Chang would always nod and wonder. He had never dreamt. He had never remembered a dream. What is it like to dream? So one day, Chang is running through a place called Happiest Meadow, the most magnificent of all places. And he's the only human, but he's surrounded by all sorts of species of all sorts of creatures. And he's chasing this butterfly and chasing that butterfly. And it's a good day. He's catching lots of wonderful butterflies. And he's taking a rest at one moment. And all of a sudden, the most incredible, magnificent butterfly, not only that he's ever seen in his life, but that he ever even imagined existed, landed on a blade of grass in front of him. This butterfly was all the colors of the rainbow, but mostly like this purple and gold filtered in with all the other colors. And it was in this pattern of two eyes. And so it looked like every time the butterfly opened and closed its wings, it was like it was blinking at him. And it was enormous. And it took his breath away. He couldn't believe it. And he sat there watching it for a moment. And then he got himself together and remembered, I'm a butterfly collector and this is the prize of my entire lifelong career. So slowly he reached back to get his most his finest net and slowly pulled it out and the butterfly just sat there winking and blinking at him on the blade of grass and he pulled the net out and shoop what do you think of course he missed the butterfly took off and shang took off after him and they ran across the meadow and Chang knew this, of course, I couldn't catch the most magnificent queen of butterflies that easily. And he loved it. It was the most joyful chase ever. The sun was shining and the birds were chirping and all sorts of species were scurrying everywhere. It was a magical day as he went chasing after this queen of butterflies through the meadow. The first joyful, exciting hour turned into a second, a little more exhausting hour. And four hours later, Chang was wiped. He had been chasing after this butterfly. He was sweaty, he was tired, and he 
was obsessed. He had to have this butterfly. He could think of nothing else. This is the prize of the career. I'm gonna, I'll, I'll sell it to the king himself. This is the most amazing butterfly. And he's like losing touch with himself. He's so hell bent on catching this butterfly. And so he's chasing it here and chasing it there. And all of a sudden he's running blindly. He doesn't even see where he's going. And he's all of a sudden buried up to his ankles and his calves and his knees in mud. And he watches the butterfly fly gently on the breeze across the pond and land on a lotus flower in the middle. And Chang stands there sinking in the mud and decides what is his life worth without this butterfly. And so he plunges into the pond, swimming with one arm and holding his net up in the other and makes his way across the pond. And he's, he's like, he's lost it. He's lost his, his joyful sense of what he is about here. And he, he has to have this butterfly. And so as he gets closer, he, he's like, he's, he's all, he's losing his breath and he's, he's crazy with the pursuit and with the hunt. And as he gets closer, he calms himself down and reaches up and whoom! And of course, again, he misses and the butterfly takes off and flies away and Chang sinks down and is covered in lotus flower roots and he's got a snail on his head and his net is getting ripped and ugh, he's got water and grass up his nose and finally drags himself out of the pond and up on shore and there's a fish in his pocket and a frog on his shoulder and he's all tangled in weeds and grasses and he's all muddy and just ugh. <sighs> and he delivers the fish back to the water and the frog back to the mud. And he turns and there's the butterfly up in a branch, winking and blinking at him. And he takes off his soaking wet robe and lays it out in the sun and collapses on the ground. Oh, butterfly, you elude me. Don't you understand? I could have saved you from the fate of being eaten by a bird or just dying and rotting in the, in the field. I could have preserved you forever. You could have hung on the walls of the emperor's palace. <sighs> and slowly the sun dappling through the leaves and the breeze and the exhaustion and Chang's eyes become heavy, watching those gorgeous, enormous wings wink and blink at him. And he falls asleep. Who knows how long he sleeps into the dark, dreamless depths. And then he has that feeling of waking and he sees the light and he goes to stretch as is his custom upon waking as most of us do, but he's stuck. He can't, he can't move. He's stuck and it's, he's trying to open his eyes, but it's, it's dark with like a crack of light and he's, what's, I'm trapped, am I, am I asleep? And he, takes a deep breath and pushes and the crack of light gets a little bit bigger. And he takes another deep breath and stretches and the crack of light gets a little bit bigger. And then he takes another deep breath and, and he breaks free. 
And he can feel, he can feel his movement. But something's weird. Something doesn't feel right. And he goes to turn, and then he sees this gorgeous gold, huge gold leaf behind him. And he can't, what tree grows this kind of leaf? And he goes to look over his other shoulder, and there's one over his other shoulder too, but every time he goes to turn, he can't quite see it. And he goes to wipe his brow, but it's not his hand. It's like a, a thread. Something is very not right. And he looks over and there's a huge white flower over him. And he looks down and he's high up off the ground and he starts to freak out and he loses balance in his tapples and he's falling through the air and he shivers in fear and suddenly he's suspended in air for a moment. <gasps> and then he stops and starts plunging again and he's in his fear he shivers again and he's in midair for a second and then he starts plunging again and this time he knows what he's doing and he with all of his might and all of his being, he shivers and he's flying. He's a butterfly. And he takes off across the meadow and watches his brethren butterflies landing on the flowers and drinking of the nectar. And he flies and rides the breeze and tries it himself and lands on a flower petal and watches his, his friends. And he does the same. He crawls down into the center of the flower and the smell is so incredible and he drinks of the nectar and he crawls back out drunk with joy and then takes off and dances with the breeze under the sunlight over the flowers with the butterflies and the dragonflies and the birds flying everywhere and he lives the long and instant life of a butterfly. Just, let's give a quick, we, we love you for the, for the sister that's being taken out. Dina. Dina, thank you. Love you, Dina. One more time. One, two, three. We love you. eternal lifetime of a butterfly. I mean, let's all just imagine it for a moment, what it's like to be an incredibly joyful, purely ecstatic butterfly floating on the breeze, dancing with your sister and brother butterflies in the happiest meadow. He's lost complete connection with his life as a human. He is a butterfly. And as he's taking one joyful turn and another, all of a sudden, <gasps> He feels these, these threads and nets, and he's caught. And a huge voice says, for the king. And a huge hand reaches down and grabs him and thumps him into a box. And he sees his last glimpse of happiest meadow and sunshine as the lid to the box is closed. And darkness descends upon him again into his dark, dreamless sleep. 
for an instant, for an eternity, until he wakes. And he dares not move. Am I a human or a butterfly? <laughs> and finally, he stretches his human form and runs down to the pond just to be sure and sees his human reflection in the pond and looks up and there is that queen of butterflies winking and blinking at him. And he falls to his knees and says, oh master, I shall become a maker of pots. <laughs> and for the rest of his life, he loves the butterflies, he appreciates the, but appreciates the butterflies, he runs through the meadows with them, but he never catches another one. But he paints the most exquisite pictures of butterflies <laughs> on his most incredible pottery collection, which he sells to the poorest and the wealthiest of his land. Was he a man who dreamt he was a butterfly? <clears throat> or a butterfly who dreamt he was a man? Whoever knows the answer to this question does indeed dwell in happiest meadow. Thank you. Uh, I'm real excited. I've got like three public service announcements. I hope I can remember what they are. Uh, first one, the shitters. Okay. Does, uh, the sh does everyone know where the shitters are? Yeah. Yeah, well, some people may, some people not. But uh, let's see where we are now. I'm a little disoriented, but uh, which, someone point to Space Camp from here. There, there's the Lovin' Ovens, Space right? Camp's right Space Camp's right over there. Space Camp's right over there? Okay, yeah. cool. So you just go down the trail towards Main Meadow. And on your left, there's a path, and then you go to the shitter. We actually could use some signs that will uh, say the following. What you do is you, you, uh, you know, actually, it's, some people say you should wash your hands before you go to the shitter because you're going to touch the toilet paper and whatnot. But you basically uh, squat, shit, you cover it with the, the lime. We actually have lime up there. What that does, that actually breaks it down. I could explain the science if you want to later. But uh, we need to put the lime in there so it breaks down because it's not in the top six inches of the uh, organic layer. Then you uh, sprinkle the uh, over your shit and the toilet paper. And if some family didn't hear about that and they just like shat in there, you sprinkle lime over theirs too. Or, you know, there's a limited amount of lime. And so then you... Uh, uh, then you wash your hands, and then if there's a lime, toilet paper, or a hand wash missing, you go like wherever you need to go, like this kitchen or that kitchen, to get what you need to have the, uh, to restock the shitter. This only works because we're all volunteering to do this, and we all need help to do this. So please help, and uh, help us do this. So that's the shitters. Uh, make sure you do shit in the shitters, uh, because otherwise it's not very sanitary. We want to break the shit fly food connection. That's why we cover it with lime to not only help break it down, but to keep the flies off of it. And if you see flies on there, give it an extra dose of lime oh, yes. and maybe help just, just refill the lime anyway. We got bags of it uh, at Main Supply. El Mundo Chronicle. What time is the orgy? Overbooking of onlookers, paparazzi, and hikers willing to catch chub when the free sex and without masks of the rainbow family installed in Mancia de la Sierra transcended. We uncover the latest neo-hippie scam on Mother Nature. 300 euro slippers, laptops, trip to the cafeteria, and more war than love under the 
Quechua Monopoly by Ricardo F. Colmenero. Originally published June 14th, 2021, republished August 3rd, 2021. Not that we were animals in a zoo, complains Iris, pointing to a paparazzi on a hill on the other side of the Portillo River. Iris does not like the media, or multinationals, or waxing, or underwear. Here, she yells at the photographer, lifting her skirt, then asks me if I'm staying the night and offers me her jacket. The civil guard arrived first, three times, one with riot gear, another with the helicopter, then came the foreign agents, and then those of social affairs of the government of La Rioja to see if there were malnourished children or witnessing sexual scenes, or if the children ate while witnessing sexual scenes. The shepherds of the seven villages, Telecinco, photographers from international agencies, curious hikers, and hikers who came to see if they caught Chubb also passed there. Had the Rainbow Family meeting lasted one more week, a Mercedona would have opened in Mancia de la Sierra. As apparently no one is in charge here because the hierarchy is horizontal, Carls, a Catalan computer scientist dressed as a gnome and who claims to have left everything to build wooden things, stands upright. We have had a lot of problems because of what the press published about orgies. For example, I ask, lots of peepers and a dirty old man who was bothering the girls. And how did you throw it away? We are on that. The closest thing to civilization and to mobile coverage is Venta de Goyo, a 22-room hostel served by Juan Carr, and a cafeteria next to two gas pumps overlooking the river that his cousin serves. And why do you write about the nudists and not about what they want to take away, the doctor, from us, the cousin complains. From there, to get to the rainbow, you have to drive four kilometers by road and then another six along a dirt track that surrounds the Mancia Reservoir. When you start to see cars, mostly vans with license plates from France, Germany, the United Kingdom, or the Czech Republic, you have to continue on foot. A couple hours guided by a riverbed and arrows made with sticks that only confirm how difficult it is for the rainbow family and anyone to be left alone in the 21st century. Three Bosques in their 50s are about to join, Mikkel, Raquel, and a woman who has changed her name to a Hindu dance. In the opposite direction from the camp, Hota appears. Do you know the rules, he asks? The first is not to eat meat. The girl with the Hindu dance name says that she is wearing some flour for the magic hat, that is, to share. The second and third, no alcohol and drugs, a rule that would make any Woodstock survivor convulse, according to Wikipedia, the origin of the Rainbow Family. The fourth, no technology. Only that of the Hindu dance has participated in another rainbow in India 20 years ago and has not returned because she does not know how to find out. Following the anti-technology guideline, the instructions to get there were written down in pen and with colored drawing of the place. It's all word of mouth, says Hota, although later she ends up acknowledging a mailing is also made. Goyo's cousin from Venta had already warned us that every day several of them ha take a break from the rainbow and have breakfast in the cafeteria with their laptop and a sandwich of fried eggs with peppers. Mikel is the first to meet Jorge, the cowherd, uh, a limousine breed. There is also another shepherd with sheep and another with horses whom Jorge points to different hills. What time is the orgy? Mikel asks him, getting sick of it. Jorge snorts, I wish they would stay forever. Why? To have someone to talk to. Along the way, the woman with the name of a Hindu dance talks about Miguel Bosé and informs me about the possibility of absorbing energy, spiritually detoxifying, and cleaning the path of chi by carrying stone eggs in her vagina.
One knows that it has arrived because naked men begin to appear along the shore. A Cuban and his partner, decorated with a multitude of beads, looks like the welcoming committee. They smile and give long hugs as if they had given us up for dead, and they invite us to continue toward a valley dominated by the sacred fire. One quickly realizes that marijuana prohibition must have been abolished somewhere along the way. Rather than smoking it, some appear to have been smoked or coated in it. There are couples lying on the grass embracing, guys walking on hands and doing cartwheels. The girl with the Hindu dance name is served coffee in a soup bowl. Apparently everyone has their own for everything that is ingested, but it is impersonal and transferable. What in Ibiza would be a normal and ordinary summer day in Beniras or Agues Blancas in the middle of La Rioja, it seems like a cannibal tribe or a lost civilization or a break from the recording of Mel Gibson's Apocalypto. After identifying ourselves as journalists, a group surrounds us and accuses us of what others have published. For a second, we appreciate the ban on eating meat. An Italian with light eyes and 300 euro sandals accuses me of being in the service of elites and multinationals. At first glance, the only one that is tolerated is Huechua. It sprinkles all over the camp like colored igloos. As they resolve crises by setting up circles, they invite us to one in which they will decide whether to let us take photos or eat us. I propose. A stick which is shaped like a micro decides the turn to speak. I skip it because a strabismus boy, dressed in boots and a sweatshirt under which his genitals protrude, begins to tell me about the raid by the civil guard, which ended with almost a hundred denounced for camping and firing, and the arrest of a knife that was in the kitchen and a bottle of Viagra that was in a store. Apparently, a circle had to be made to talk about erectile dysfunction, and the one with Viagra said that he neither used it nor remembered why he had it there. But Iris, for example, doesn't believe it. Then they go to a second larger circle prior to the meal, as if they blessed it, in which they sing, holding hands, several songs in different languages that sound like versions of the chorus of Love, Love by Lolita. They also dance and pray to the Pachamama, and they end with a long mantra, Om, which resounds through the valley. It's hot, and about a quarter of the circle is wearing no clothes, and the rest are hooded robes or sarongs. As soon as they tell me and the photographer where to drink and where not to piss, we feel integrated. They invite us to lunch, but we decline the offer. Here everything is natural and ecological, they explain. A deaf mute brings us a metal plate, and we are going to wash it in the area indicated. On the way back, I sit next to Mano, a French musician with dreadlocks in his hair and beard and a moon tattooed on one knee, among many other drawings. He became famous in the press for a photo in Ibiza sleeping with a friend on the roof of the van. Next to him is his girlfriend, or something like that. You come to a rainbow and you may or may not have a connection with someone, explains Mano. The girl identifies as a therapist. I teach to breathe, she adds to cover my silence. A little further on, a person from Gipuzkoa said that it took him three days to hitchhike to reach the rainbow. At some point, I raise my head and a naked man appears before me with his legs spread who seems to be about to use a black tub as a toilet. But instead, he shoves a spoon into the tub that I hadn't seen before and extracts chunks of apricot, water melon and orange which he places on my plate. I smile, he smiles at me, and I eat it. Mano has done a lot of rainbows. He likes it because it allows us to appreciate the very simple, very simple things. Food, nature, he emphasizes by putting his hand in the grass. And the rest of the time, sometimes there are workshops, yoga, meditation, or learning to play an instrument. Some people take turns getting up and talking. If people agree with what he says, they yell, aho, which is what a Sioux would say. 
A girl with an umbrella of Tibetan prayers starts to tell something but soon starts crying. Another hugs her from behind to calm her down, and another circle is proposed, smaller, called the heart, so each one can express their feelings. Previously, another one had been proposed to talk about the old green. Some of those who get up speak in English and are translated into Spanish in an inclusive language or exclusively female, depending on who is listening. Another of those who gets up tells that he wants to build a temescal, a kind of sauna with wood, blankets, and hot stones to which water is poured. And then another to explain what the runes had told him, some stones of Viking origin with sacred symbols that serve to speak with a divinity. Apparently, the runes had commissioned a lot of missions once they left the rainbow, which were between beatitudes and coaching. Some get bored. Raquel kisses with the boy who touched her next to her. Soon a group gets up, they start playing instruments, singing and dancing while passing the magic hat in which people leave euros. If you don't have one, they don't leave until you kiss your fingertips and pretend to kiss. Soon I am leaving with another group and I meet Alberto, a man from Madrid who writes poems and draws women with three breasts and multiple heads. He says he came because he needed to relax after the latest cryptocurrency crash. Angie is German. She is 23 years old and goes around the world with her dog, a big black one named Radha, as the consort of the Hindu god Krishna. She agrees to be photographed even though she asks for money at first. And that philosophy here is bartering so as not to fall into monetary tyranny. This is her first rainbow. It's like my family, she says. Angie takes a long time to answer each question as if she had to wait for the translator for the earpiece. Then she writes me her email with a heart in the notebook. A father and son appear on horseback and attract the attention of the group as a kind of arrival of Columbus to the Indies. The Cuban's partner reports that a horse has a wounded leg and asks loudly if anyone knows about healing herbs. But the one with the horse says not to do anything, although then they stand there for several hours looking at the girls. David says he's an engineer and that he left it to travel the world and grow tomatoes. Ask the photographer to take a barefoot riding one of the horses. They let him get on, but the horse starts to run, and after a few meters, he falls. On the second try, the mess sets in. Five girls, some dressed, sprint 400 meters toward the photographer. He tells them that he is not taking pictures of them, but of David. But they respond that the camera has cut off their power with the anger of someone who has lost a Word document of 200 pages. I think about reminding them that one of them has an electric guitar tuner, but I pass. A young man covered in marijuana also runs towards the photographer and another with a tattoo on his belly of the pirouette of a paper plane. They assume the patriarchal defense of this organization created to promote world peace for meditation in remote places. First, they yell at the photographer, then they push him, then they shake him, then they try to steal his camera, which they propose to throw into the river, and finally they force him to delete all the photos. In the middle of the mess, a mother with a three-year-old child appears, crying, apparently because she does not know how to explain to her son what is happening. And finally, Carles, the vertical computer scientist, appears to apologize. In an aside, it says the photos can be recovered and offers to do so. He also says that those who have attacked the photographer will apologize and that what has happened is because of the new moon. They beg us to stay for the night, but we refuse. Farewell. We receive more long, naked hugs, and we appreciate the historic opportunity to have enjoyed 10 hours of no coverage. As they leave the camp, about 10 women form a circle holding hands and participate in what appears to be a shouting workshop.
Superstitious, so I mock people's religions, and I base most of my decisions off something that's probably fake. And yes, I can admit that I'm a contradicting dingbat. These things that I believe in, they keep me sane for insanity's sake. Well, I tell myself that everything, like all the shit that my life can bring, and all the things that fucking piss me off, they all happen for a reason. Like when I got put on the books, got caught for the things I took, or the terrible feeling I get each year at the turning of the season. I know that my outlook on being Well, it's just as strange as claiming seeing Jesus Christ transforming water into Chardonnay But I just like to keep on thinking Whoa, all the shit that keeps my life stinking Well, it also keeps me making those irrational decisions That make me fade away I couldn't care to who mom compared. This is how I survive. Things are much better now that I'm alive. So I couldn't care to who mom compared because I'm alive. Oh, I'm alive. And I'm free. All these hateful assholes, no creativity. Just be yourself and fuck everyone else. Except the ones who love you for being yourself And they couldn't care less about anything else They love you good and they always will There's nothing that you could ever spill To them that would make them love you any less Even if you stink, got no job and you're penniless Cause if you've got friends like that with your fucking blessed So hold on to them tight Yeah, hold on to them tight Yeah, hold on to them tight and do your best uh, so this gathering, uh, you know, however things get scheduled or whatever reality is, ends on the 4th of July. And on the 4th of July, you know, what we do is we, you know, as soon as uh, morning light, we don't talk. We're just quiet. We listen. And until we all gather in the meadow in a big circle, sometimes there's a kid's parade that comes through to uh, uh, let us know when it's time to... Uh, stop uh basically we just ohm and we pray for peace now some people say oh yeah that's what i go for the fourth and the prayer for peace in my view this is all a prayer for peace we are trying to make peace everything we do when you help your family like who needs some help getting out of here uh which is why i gotta get back to the point which is it ends on the fourth even though these usually kind of end on the seventh maybe if we can all pretend that it is to the seventh but 
stay for cleanup for five, six, and seven. Everybody stay for cleanup. We can get out of here by the seventh at hippie noon. Now, if, if, that's just that's just a dream. Uh, the, so anyway, that the third the third uh, uh, public great. right exactly. Please help because it's only great if you're here. Yeah. Uh, so uh, yes, cleanup starts when you get here, uh, and uh, so but we still need help disappear in this place. And what you can do to start is your own tent space. Try to fluff up the 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 plants there. Maybe if you can aerate the soil by with you know if you got a rake or if you got a uh, shovel, just put some air in the soil so the uh, the the seed bank that's already here can just reseed. We talked to the uh, rangers; they don't want to, us to add any seeds. They just want to use the bank that's here, cover it with duff. Try to disappear your site. There's no magic cleanup crew that just comes after us. We are the cleanup crew. Look at your campsite before you leave and say, "Oh, is that how I want that to be forever?" Because that's how it's going to be unless you put it on some other family. Sorry, I'm getting a little emotional here. But we it's hard being on cleanup crew. It's hard. I love cleanup. Then, then let's all do it together. Five, six, seven. The whole family doing cleanup. That's my dream. But always seem to write about you. Yeah, I'm so on the thing that maybe you're not worthy of the top filled verses and these catchy tunes. Yeah, every time I get my hopes up, that you finally seen that light at the end of the tunnel. Yeah, you seem to disappear, disappear out of sight. Like a pack of coyotes running from a gunshot. The main jump the prison wall never got caught. All the way to dollar dropped in them slots. Yeah, you disappear out of sight. Like a pack of coyotes running from a gunshot. The man who dropped the prison wall never got caught. All the wasted dollars dropped in the slot. Yeah, you disappear out of sight. You're the ghost I see when the lights come out when I'm laying in bed. You're the monster crawling through my veins and into my head. You're the disappearing bow all over them flies downtown. Like Billy Jean again from that I stick around. In the tack box top your head And you always seem to catch me up Whether I'm hungry or faint Like a wolf atop the mountain Howling down I woo! Send the shiver in my spine every time But you know where to be found Like the kid trick the pigs into turning around Mom pop shops out once downtown Pack of wild dogs that escape from the pound Yeah, you know where to be found Like the kid trick the pigs into turning around Now the mom pop shops out once downtown Crawling through my veins and into my head. You're the disappearing bow all over them flies downtown. Like Billie Jean again, promise that I'll stick around. Oh yeah, oh yeah. 
Nicely, like a hot glue, icy on my Pisces, unintangible, delicious that cannot be tasted. Face it for another sense that will not waste it. And it makes sense to embrace it because there's no time for disgust when it's a quarter past lust. Half a mile from bust, and so deep in the delta, you're practically in denial. So fast on the fuse, might as well be in denial, but you know it. Like a stoner, you grow it. Like a stone, you throw it. And almost stoned, I blow it. Not the first thing, blown, grown, or stoned today. We've been naked and achy since dusk, moaning and groaning since dawn. And we'd be in a musky lawn if we could do it in public. We'd probably get published. Hell, we'd even do it in rubbish, because we're dirty, flirty, and nerdy. Like a birdie or a dove? Speaking of, I got to go, so peace and love. All right, guys, uh, freestyle poetry. I take words from the audience and I try to weave them into something. So I need four words from four people. Three. Give me one. Love. Love. Rainbow. Rainbow. Three. Trip and three. Rattlesnake. No, that's too many words. Green. Love, rainbow, trip, three, rattlesnake. Yes. Come to the woods, it's camping, she said, and I thought, hey, why not? Of course, she conveniently forgot to tell me, uh, there are no bathrooms or showers. <laughs> if I knew that I'd be walking around for days and hours bathed in my own sweat, I'd tell her, uh, forget about it, not happening, because I'm a city girl, sort of. And then when I was on the WhatsApp chat and I read that there are rattlesnakes, I turned to her with anger in my eyes and said, oh, give me a break. Why can't you just be honest with me for like once? I'm not even wearing the proper shoes. She said, dude, it's all right. We'll go to Walmart and find something for you to wear. Next thing I know, I'm standing downhill, bare toes in the mud, thinking, God, I hope I make it out alive. 
I guess by truth, actually. A day later, I find myself in a kitchen watching as my OCD self is trying not to organize the spices on the shelf, trying not to cringe as I watch a piece of wood stuck in a pot used as a ladle. Honestly, if I were an infant in the cradle, I would be screaming in agony. But hey, it's rainbow, and with all the love you see and all the humanity and all the unity, sometimes you need to try to take a step back, not to control the chaos, not to think twice, definitely not to think about ticks or lice. <laughs> try not to think, I can't do this, I'm a quitter, the second they hand you a shovel and say, hey, make your way to the shit. <laughs> <laughs> At night when it started to rain, I couldn't explain to myself why I was torn between desperately wanting to flee and trying to stay put, trying to find within myself a strength I never knew that I could have, and thinking to myself, hey, this isn't so bad. I didn't know I had it in me to stay alone in a tent in the dark. But the thing about places like Rainbow is that you discover more about yourself than you knew you could. You discover that you do things you never thought you could or should or would want to do. The thing I found in this gathering is that it doesn't matter your belonging, whether you're Christian, Buddhist, Muslim, or Jew, it doesn't matter where you come from or where you're heading to. All that matters is that you want to give and to love, whether you're coming from up, down, side, left, right, up, above, the moment they extend a hand and say, hey, you're here to learn, we're here to teach, and they show you, they show you a path, they give you a guide. All you gotta do is close your eyes, take a breath, look deep inside and find that you can do it, even if you thought you could not. That maybe there are some things you left behind that you thought you forgot, but maybe if you look, you'll find that there's a deep strength that exists inside. I came upon a child of God He was walking along the road And I asked him, where are you going? And this is what he told me I said, I'm going on down to Yasker's farm. Gonna join in a rock and roll band. I'm gonna camp out on the land. Gonna try and get my soul free. We have stardust. We Time of year, or maybe it's the time of night.
It's happening. It's happening. Oh, good evening. First of all, you guys, thank you so much for letting me practice. Oh my God, it's been like a year, so uh, don't don't expect much, but but this is a golden opportunity for me, and I'm so grateful. Um, also, I used up all my short jokes the other night, so let's let's just get into it. Uh, my name's Gladys. I did move to New England for the winter time. Uh, I know that's kind of unusual. I know a lot of people up here don't appreciate it. I hear I hear them all the time. They fantasize about moving to Florida or Arizona or California, and they don't even know. I, I mean, I, I can tell what they're thinking. They're like, oh, I'm going to wear flip-flops all the time. I can lick a metal pole all year round. Uh, I'm going to wear a straw hat like in the Jason Mraz videos. But, man, it's it that kind of thing can turn out with the darkness. Because, okay, basically, when we don't share an objective reality that is the weather can kill you for half the year, hippies start thinking all the ideas in their head are right. It's terrifying. Just any idea that pops into their stupid little dreadlock head could be correct. You know, stuff like vaccines cause autism. I should wear a more whimsical hat. Uh, you know what I should do? Start a, start a chapstick company with weed in it. That's what I should do with my entire life. Basically, I'm saying that you need the harsh winter time to press your hippies down. Man, you get out there, it starts getting kind of spooky. I mean, up in Vermont, it's great. Even our rednecks, like, you know, your eighth generation Vermonter, they're they're pretty they're pretty good. A, they've been to another country. They've been to Canada. B, you know they just got that out of the gene pool a long time ago. If you couldn't hang out at a party 300 years ago, you had to go outside, and it's negative 30, and that's that's the end of you. You know, out west, somebody can't behave. They go outside. They're just outside, right outside, like right fogging up the windows, right out there. You'd be like, oh, people don't know so much. I'm just gonna walk out of this party and sleep underneath the manzanita tree. <laughs> so I, I moved to New England from the deep south. Um, south, it's, it's been in the news lately for rising again. And, you know, we had a lot of problems out there growing up. I mean, I'll get into it, you know, crystal meth, it, it ravages communities and people are always so down on meth heads, but you know, there's some upsides. There's some upsides. For one thing, meth heads, man, they'll make you super nostalgic for crackheads <laughs> and how and how they just want more crack and you can predict all their actions based on that the thing with meth is oh man it makes you super crazy it costs almost nothing like you can do three days a week at burger king and pay for your meth habit so what you have what you have is a lot of crazy people walking around very quickly obviously a lot of time on their hands to work on their bespoke insanities <laughs> It'll be stories like, oh, my, my neighbor's stealing my spark plugs, but you know, it's so we can build a time machine so we can go back in time and break Avril Lavigne's nose and somehow that's gonna end the designated hitter rule. So, you know, it's for a good cause. I'm not mad. Or like, you'll be in an alley and some dude will come up and you think he's gonna rob you or whatever, but he just wants you to sign a contract he made about not taking your shoelaces for granted. So, that's fine. That's fun. Uh, I had two kids recently, or so they tell me. I um, know that shit's been hard, because I didn't even have that thing in high school where they give you like a fake baby 
<laughs> that you can take care of? Did it happen at anybody's high school? Yeah. In real life? Did, what, what kind of baby was it? It was a sack, sack of flour. <laughs> what the fuck? <laughs> I thought because they had, I thought it was going to be an egg, like in Saved by the Bell. Because now they have the mechanic. A sack of flour? That's not realistic at all. You can't. You can take a baby to a fish fry. Like, a sack of flour. Watch out. Man, weird. No, I mean, the whole point of that assignment is they wanted you to fail, right? They want you to have the baby and you see how much it sucks to be a teen mom and then you don't want to be a teen mom. But then, like, if you do pass the assignment, are you good to go? Are you good to be one now? Like, like when Mothers Against Drunk Driving comes to your school fair and they have those goggles you put on that makes you drunk and then you drive with them, but then if you do a good job driving, they give you a laminated card that says you're allowed to drive drunk now. Because you did it. Or like when the D.A.R.E. officer comes to your school and he's got all those little samples of drugs in a plastic case and then he lets you do some of the blow and you're you're so good at doing it you're so good at doing it. You, do, you say all the stuff that people in cocaine are supposed to say to each other like like oh your idea for a restaurant sounds incredible i just i think it's important to be honest with children about where restaurants come from. <laughs> I think you gotta sit them down on the edge of the bed and look right in their eyes and just say, when two men named Philip and Dana love themselves very, very much, they have a restaurant concept together. And that's where they come from. Oh, people these days, a lot of people these days, they want comedians to be like more than comedians. They want to be like, you know, preachers or motivational speakers. They want to have to, you know, ask the important questions in life. So I'll, I'll try. Can anybody name all the members of Limp Biscuit? Any of them? You guys, you guys know at least one, right? Yeah. Right. It would be Fred. It would be Fred Durst. And then some people, I guess, some people also know about the spooky, ba uh, the, the spooky bass player. Yeah. I'm West. not familiar with him. West something. Uh, did you know that wasn't a puppet? That was a real dude. Just wearing contacts. But, yeah, Fred Durst is the only one anybody ever knew. And that would be really good to be Fred Durst in the 90s, because it's like, you know, you're getting the good restaurant tables, you're getting all the barred-out groupies. Um, you would want to be him, not the drummer, because it's like nobody knows who the drummer is. But then if you go fast-forward to today, You'd way rather be the drummer because you're getting those residual checks, but nobody knows you're in Limp Biscuit. <laughs> nobody but you. Not like Fred Durst, who has who has two hundred and ten million dollars. I looked that up. He's a rich man, but he can't enjoy it because uh, he's trapped inside the body of Fred Durst. <laughs> like even if you rent out the entire go kart pavilion, like there's still you know the two employees are still laughing because it's Fred Durst there. That's hilarious. He's, I'm, I'm just saying he lives in a prison made out of Fred Durst. <laughs> and so you can't even enjoy the riches. Man, wasn't it crazy how Linkin Park made all those songs about dudes having emotions, but they had to use super tough action verbs so they'd accept it? Like, dudes are always, and people in the songs, are like, they're crawling and falling and ripping and tearing. It's like, we get it. You're feeling stuff. You're feeling stuff. Okay. Uh, is it's I feel it's, it's pretty boring when white people talk about their heritage, right? When someone's trapped you in a conversation, they're telling you about how they're Scotch, German, Irish on their mom's side, and they're Dutch, Irish, Scotch on their dad's side, 
and so on and so forth. I don't know. I don't think people, Caucasians, should get to have heritage like that. There's, there's usually, I mean, Irish is definitely going to be in there. The Irish are super proud of being Irish all the time. So many parades. But then I guess, you know, there was how they used to be, like, slaves and people considered them like less than human like not even white like a subspecies of human we should get back to that we should bring that was that was tight in my opinion Ugh, knock him down a, a bit oh. oh i know you were slaves um man so people here listen to npr bet i bet you've heard stuff about like the call of the abyss Anybody ever heard of of that phrase before? It's the name for that feeling that you get when you're on like top, of, like like when you're on top of a building and you think about think about falling off. When you think about the worst possible thing that could happen, if you're driving and you think about jerking the wheel, not that you're gonna do it. You're not suicidal. You're just thinking about you know what would happen if I went down that route. I've I've been having a lot of conversational call of the abyss lately when I'm talking to folks. I just. It's it's fucking with my enjoyment of life. Okay, the the, the the real example, like the real life example of this was I was hanging out with my friends the other day and uh, there was a story on the news about some Scientologists in Turkey that were handing out pamphlets and uh, they were charged with this with this old school crime over there called like inciting fear, inciting fear on the street. And since it was a story about Scientology, of course, they have a picture of Tom Cruise up there. Just like a random red pic- uh, red uh, red carpet picture of Tom Cruise doing that toothy Tom Cruise grin he does. Where he's like, <laughs> like that one. And I stood up and went over the TV and like pointed at his, his fucked up big front teeth. And I was like, hey guys, more like incising fear, am I right? <laughs> Which caused a mild titter. It's not a good joke. It caused a mild titter of laughter. But I couldn't even enjoy that little tiny moment of pleasure bringing other people laughter because immediately I was thinking man you know what would make things really upsetting and awkward if you just said that again if you just said the punchline again more like incising fear am I right for a second time but then that would probably it'd probably work out because people would think you were just excited about your joke landing and were like saying it one more time they'd give you a little a little credit but then, man, if you said it a third time, <laughs> you're like, hey, guys, more like incising fear, am I right? Ha, ha, ha. More like incising fear, am I right? More like incising fear, am I right? That third time, like, people are going to frown a little bit and furrow their brows, and they're probably not going to say anything. They might shoot each other a glance. But then what if you said it a fourth time? <laughs> What if you said it four times? Oh, fuck. Now this is like the worst part of everyone's day. They feel so uncomfortable. They're fucking hating it. They're hating it. Oh, geez. They're like looking around. Man, and then you get into like five, six, seven. People are looking at the table. They might try to physically leave the room. There's like more like incising fear. Right? More like incising fear. And then you go into like eight, nine, ten times. They have to look at you because what if you stab them? They don't want to get stabbed. Oh. And then it's like, how many times can you say the same thing in a row before they like call somebody before like they get a straight jacket for you and put it on you or like just get on the phone about it 
I mean, I, not out here though. Fuck, not right here. You could say something five hundred thousand times, and you just be like, "Oh, that's more like incising fear marks." He's like that. We love him. He's great. Uh, okay, so here's here's a here's a thing that's hard to do in audiences of normal people that would be easier out here. Like stuff about traveling. It's hard to explain the lifestyle to people. It's hard to explain a lifestyle where it's like, I would spend a lot of time doing stuff in front of signs that were telling me exactly not to do that. Like the sign says no soliciting, but I'm hardcore soliciting all day, getting, getting that cash. Or a sign that says, you know, dogs must be leashed. And my dog's never on a leash. I would never. Come on, forget about it. Uh, and then, you know, eventually a security guard will come up to you and they'll like jerk their thumb back at the sign, you know, tell you you got to get out of here. Sometimes... Sometimes they would point to the sign and be like, hey, can't you read? And when I had that opportunity, I would always say, no. <laughs> and that would usually, they just give me a weird look, but then sometimes, oh my God, sometimes they would be like, why? <laughs> and then, then you got a real sandbox to play in. That's so good. You can say, you know, I'm always going to say something, I'm always going to say something real, like something that's going on in someone's real life, like, oh, I was actually, like, in a cult until I ran away at age 21, and they never taught us how to read, and we didn't really go much past the third grade or whatever, and can you help me get my documents, like a social security card, <laughs> or, like, ask them... You know, or like some frozen airplane waste. It fell out and it hit me on the head. And ever since then, I can't read. And, and the hope is that he like goes home to his family that night and he tells them of this fantastical tale of this of this person that he met and their story. And then they all think about people whose lives are different from theirs and might not have the same opportunities. And they, they, you know, have a better understanding, more empathy. Or there's also the possibility that he says to me, hey, my sister's the only person who's been hit by frozen airplane poop in this hemisphere since 1974. And then now I learned something. I'm the one that learned the lesson. And I'd like that too. Man, being out, being out there sometimes, you know, you, you're, you're out there for years and stuff. Sometimes the compass gets a little spun. You you start wondering if you're doing the right thing. I would. I mean, I was having a great time out there, but just driving all over America, I'd wonder myself, is it right to be doing this? Should I be out here doing all these drugs, having depraved sex with strangers? Um, is it the best use of my talents and time, limited though they may be? And when I was having one of these moments of, you know, sort of like existential crisis, um, I'm so glad that I got behind an edible arrangements truck because once I saw that truck and that papaya response, uh, <clears throat> I knew that like, I just remembered edible, arrangement, uh, ed edible arrangements and what it is that there's like a whole building where, where people have to show up to so they can cut up pineapples and put wooden dowels in them and that they're using fossil fuels to like haul it all over America to like, I guess people that work at the bank, I don't know, <laughs> who orders edible arrangements, but like, it's an entire company that people work for and, you, you know, kind of harming the environment with their activities and it's, I'm fine, you know, if that's going on, I'm good, I'm good to go, I'm not, I'm not the person that stuck a wooden dowel in a cookie and uh, took that to the bank to get a loan about it. Everything I do is fine. So, you guys, speaking of not being able to read, if you guys have, 
you've, you've, you've probably heard of dyslexia before, right? Yeah. So they, they told me when I was little I had an opposite condition called hyperlexia. And I don't know how true that is, but I could definitely read before I could talk or before I was, you know, like three and, and uh, can still read pretty fast. And uh, growing up, you'd, you'd think that would be a, you know, a boon that would get you ahead in life, but also it didn't really come with like a expanded, you know, maturity or consciousness or intellectual ability. I could just read the words really fast. My parents wouldn't take me to the library. They would just take me to like the grocery store where they would buy me every Stephen King book uh, in print. And man, when I was six, I read Cujo because it had a doggy on the cover. <laughs> and you guys, in the book Cujo, a guy breaks into his girlfriend's apartment, smashes every single thing that she owns, ejaculates on her bedspread, and then leaves. And at the time, that was distressing to me because, you know, I mean, first of all, I didn't want all my unicorn figurines smashed, but also the semen part. That was that was hard for me to deal with because like I knew Salem's Lot wasn't real and that like uh, you know Pet Cemetery was a made up story but I I was already pretty aware that semen was hella real like as a concept and around me all the time and and I just I just didn't know is that is that how adults treated each other is this what dating was gonna be like is this what I have to get ready for. <laughs> But it didn't even matter because, like, now, if I came home now and found a puddle of semen on my bedspread, y'all not even washing that for, like, four days. <laughs> I'm just kicking it to the bottom of the bed. <laughs> Who cares? Who cares? Uh, so, man, child actors. Why are, why, are we still, why are we still having them? Like, I'm not the best parent, but I know more than to ever let that happen to my kid. What a bizarre-ass life. It's the only profession, too, that we allow kids to do if they want to. It's not like anyone's like, oh, our son, Mar you know, Mur Murphy just loves oil fracking. So so we did quit our jobs and moved to North Dakota just to, just to give him a push, see if it works out for him. As long as he's enjoying it, though. No one, even if you're like, even if your first grader is a math whiz, no one's like, oh, you should pull him out of elementary school and make him a CPA. That, that'd be good for him. And honestly, oil fracking would probably be safer for kids as a profession because, like, Acting's the only profession that requires you on a daily basis to put your kids in the car and drive them on purpose to a building that's full of like, you know, pedophiles and sycophants and like people that whiten their dog's teeth and just the absolute scum of the earth. People that, that are probably gonna fuck up your kids mentally and probably just plain fuck them. And I've heard that's bad for their development. It's not good for them. Man, I can't even enjoy watching a movie that has a bunch of kids in it, like Stranger Things or something. I feel like I'm watching a snuff film of their childhood. I feel like I'm watching a movie, uh, you know, where the dog dies, but from back before it was illegal to kill animals on screen. Which was 1939. You guys know that before 1939, those horses are not okay. They didn't make it. It wasn't, it wasn't good for them. Man. And then sometimes... People try to tell me, oh, some of the child actors turn out all right. What about Jodie Foster? <laughs> Jodie Foster's okay. But you guys know, Jodie Foster's like best friends with Mel Gibson. <laughs> so is she okay? <laughs> is she okay? Uh, 
I got more, but I think I think I'm just gonna stop now. Why? No, more. Amazing. Why? Okay. Um, <laughs> what did I have? What I have written on the sheet of paper? Uh, Poker stories is one of. Testosterone. Testosterone. Testosterone starts off with talking about NPR and like I'm, I'm not sure that might be like a little specialized. I don't know. It's just I. It's a little cute for me lately. You guys listen to NPR often? Sometimes. I don't know, like Stevensky pretending not to know how to pronounce like rap, you know, words and rap lyrics on the bumper stuff, and like, oh man, Radiolab, fucking Radiolab. It's like if you're telling a story that takes place in England, you don't have to play Hail Britannia for me to like hold that idea in my head. It's fucking babyish. Um, but anyway, so I was listening to it one day because there's nothing else in the car. They were doing a story about testosterone, like people that had too much of it or too little of it, people that had like transitioned their gender or whatever and what that was like. And um, they were going down a list of like, uh, of like fact uh, attributes of people that had like a lot of testosterone in their body. And I was hearing it, I was like, okay, yeah, maybe identify with some of that. It was stuff like square palms and like a deep voice. And uh, one of them literally, this is literally one of them, a wolfish grin. <laughs> mm -hmm. uh, another one of them was if you were in high school voted most likely to Sarah Connor which I was no that wasn't really one that wasn't really one uh, but the last one uh, they told you about which is completely real was that levels of testosterone rise when you are uh, both working out like in the middle of a really hard workout or watching violence even recorded violence like people fighting and when I heard that, I knew it was time to take my workouts to the next level by watching videos of people beating the shit out of each other first. Yeah. And you guys, it is—it works so well. Oh my god! I would you go to, go to any kind of fight porn site. It, you know, when you're like watching a video of a fight at 2 a.m. and you get embarrassingly hype about it, like you're at UFC. Yeah. Sure, that too. But I mean, no, I want them to like mean it. I want someone to have snatched somebody's something and then now like an unholy fury is coming down. I watched them all, high school fight videos. Like I didn't get into the Appalachian preschool MMA backyard scene, but that exists. That exists and it's out there. And uh, I'm so grateful. But then it got me in trouble because uh, back when I was living my car, I would work out sometimes by sneaking into the fitness room of like a Ramada Inn or something. Uh, you would just like fish a Starbucks cup out of the garbage, have sweatpants on and a messy bun. And then now, you know, bust out a workout real quick before I go fly a sign. And I'm in, I'm in the Ramada one time waiting for somebody with a card to come swipe it through so he can get into the little tiny room with the foggy mirrors and the like one Nordic track. And I'm listening to, I'm, I'm watching the fights on my cell phone with headphones. And then eventually this like elderly dude in basketball shorts uh, comes to use the gym, which is great for me. He stands up, he swipes the card. And as he goes in, I duck in behind him really quick. And as I do, the door slams shut and catches my headphones and pulls them out of the phone. And then now all of a sudden we're like in this tiny room together and there's just the sounds of like, get him, Jeremy, get him, Jeremy. <laughs> Fuck him up, fuck him up. And he was like looking at me, kind of confused. I was just like, this is what music sounds like now. This is what the kids listen to. Um, okay. 
I don't want to talk about the Myers-Briggs personality index. I don't want to talk about pedophiles. Um, I invented some new dog breeds, I guess. <laughs> you know, like, I mean, it just sucks that we have all these dogs that, that are trained to do hyper-specialized tasks. We took all their dogs away. I mean, we took all their uh, jobs away in the span of, like, 50 years. I just don't think it's fair. They're, like, quivering with excitement to do the thing they were trained to do. And we don't let them do it. We got to start over. We got to start from scratch. Dogs for modern people to solve modern problems. You know, like a, a dog, like a retriever. But they only retrieve cash and jewels. <laughs> and also they can break into people's houses. That's a dog that I could use. Um, you know, dogs that are good for selfies, really glossy, stand in front of you, reflect the light. Um, dogs that, like, secrete antibiotics from their eyes, but every day they change a little bit to keep up with today's fast-paced MRSA outbreaks. <laughs> You know, like a, a dog that, if people call themselves their dog's mom, maybe you hit 40 and the dog's face will change to look like your face. <laughs> so then you don't feel so bad about not completing the biological imperative. I don't know. Sometimes when I'm in public with my dog, she'll be asleep and she'll be twitching like dogs do when they dream and, you know, making little noises and shit. And people are always like, oh, she must be chasing rabbits. Or, you know, stuff that dogs do during the day. But sometimes the dog tries to hump me, so it's like, you gotta figure some of those dreams. Some of those dreams, you're not stopping them. Like, you're into it. Hmm. Of all the things that COVID took away from us in Burlington, Vermont, near where I live, the one thing I can't believe it didn't take away was the axe throwing bar. <laughs> Somehow there's still a bar, it survived the pandemic, where you can go throw axes at the wall and it makes me so goddamn mad. Oh man, I know I shouldn't get that worked up over it. It's just, uh -huh. oh. <clears throat> because they're not chopping wood in there. It's not surrounded by, you're supposed to chop like, you know, 10,000 cords of wood first. They're, they're trafficking in working class signifiers. I don't love that. Plus the fact that you just know that if it came down to the cut, they're not, it, they're not even helping people do it. They're not even gonna be able to do it. Like, I'm out here in the middle of nowhere chopping wood for the apocalypse. They're in there twirling them around like majorettes. And if in fact the apocalypse did happen and there was like, you know, a horde of people from Brooklyn cresting the hill coming to take over my house in Vermont and you needed somebody, you needed one of these Burlingtonians to sink the tip of that axe into the forehead of one of these fucks, they're, they're going to be like, oh, it's not a regulation axe. It needs to be tuned. Uh, so I guess I might as well... Sure, I'll I'll do the the hooker story last because I got to get back to those to the kids. They'll probably need me. But uh, <clears throat> large area, <laughs> go all, way out there. Go. So uh, before, uh, yeah, before this life, I used to have like a whole a whole different one where I had like long hair and uh, long nails and high heels and oh for the purposes of this story I guess it is important not just a, a brag to say like I used to be super hot before I lost like most of my teeth which causes your face to sink in 
I was I was pretty attractive. Like people used to say Angelina Jolie, but that's not true. That's that was way too hot. But absolutely Jessica Alba hot. <laughs> that's an objective fact. I was absolutely as hot as like Jessica Alba. So anyway, um, I also I'm tired of standing up now. So I had parlayed this into like a fairly. I went from Craigslist hooker to like tech bro hooker, which was you know fairly a fairly lucrative enterprise. And um, huh? Craigslist to what? Craigslist like uh, you know, like a I, uh, I would say mostly tech bros, oh. is is who I was working for, and so for the setting, of this story is I was in the car with one of these dudes one day, and he was going off about my mom's declawed cat. I mean, you know, like I've been seeing the dude a little bit, and he just hated that my mom's cat uh, had been declawed. I don't, I don't. I know we're not supposed to like it. I don't have that much of a problem with it. I mean, it was still could climb trees. The cat seemed happy enough. Uh, otherwise, it was going to go to an animal shelter in Memphis, Tennessee, which would have been death. So it's like declawing or death, whichever one you think is better. But he was he was all up in arms about it. He's like, oh, man, don't you know? It's just like cutting your knuckle off, your, your finger off at the first knuckle. That's, that's their fingers in there. And I was like, well, honestly, I think cats would be able to make that decision. I think if you offered a cat free room, board, medical care, and food for the rest of their natural life, they'd probably lose the first knuckle voluntarily. I know I would. If somebody was offering me <coughs> free room, you know, food, medical care for the rest of my life, you can have the first, you know, little bone pieces. And he said, do you want to put your money where your mouth is? And I said, what? <laughs> and he said that there was places on the internet, not the World Wide Web, but the internet, where he could put an ad like that, and maybe somebody would take me up on it and, uh, you know, decide to provide those things in exchange for, you know, safely uh, in a medical setting, cutting the tips of my finger off. And I didn't have to think long about it before I said yes, because come on, <laughs> the first knuckles in your finger? What the fuck? You can still dial a phone, pull a grenade, masturbate, Vulcan salute. What else is there? Those four things? Come on, you're good. That's good. That's all you need to do. And so he put the ad on the internet, and uh, surprisingly quickly it got answered. If you had to guess a part of the world from which someone who would take me up on that offer would originate, where do you think? New Jersey. Uh, China. No, not nobody there Some could afford. Some of the answers, so I don't sound ignorant. <laughs> what you would now call the UAE. They're definitely they definitely grow some weird ones. United Arab Emirates. Yeah, in that in that part of the world. Um Did they want your knuckles? Yeah, they actually wanted a whole lifestyle thing. Like that was get, that was getting worked out, you know, am I going to like live at the house? Do I wear a collar? It was finally decided it was gonna be just like, you know, I had my own oh, separate oh, he domicile. To de you like a cat. Yeah, no, that yeah, that's, that's yeah, I don't declaw cats. <laughs> That's not. Apparently, a lot of people don't. I mean, my mom did. I don't judge other people. This is a, a comedy. Uh, anywho, no, it's a conversation too. It's a right because I'm sitting down. Fuck. <laughs> That's why they make them stand up. Now I get it. Or else you're just talking. Or you're just talking. Oh. Gosh, tradition, tradition. Don't fuck with it. Well, United Arab Emirates have a lot of money, you know. Yes, yeah, yeah. Some, uh, some free stuff going on. But luckily, before, before that uh, happened, uh, some other shit went down, and uh, I basically ended up hitting the road because I was being, you know, pretty heavily surveilled. 
by these dudes. But it was kind of a shame because I had already practiced, you know, doing a bunch of stuff that was going to be needed in my new cat lifestyle, like jumping up on the mantle and knocking a bunch of shit off. <laughs> Shitting in a box of sand, much to the dismay of other people at the playground. <laughs> okay, I'm going to sit down now. Let's watch a full-length movie on YouTube with Mike Spiegelman. Let's watch a full-length movie on YouTube with Mike Spiegelman. It's been Welcome to L-W-A-F-L-M-O-Y-T, that's L-W-A-F, cough, 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 L-M-O-Y-T, that stands for Let's Watch a Full-Length Movie on YouTube with Mike Spiegelman and Carl. Hi, Carl. Hey, Mike, how's it going over there? Oh, you caught me when I was coughing, uh, but we are very excited. Uh, this is another week of our show. We watch a full-length movie on YouTube with you. You yes. sync up the movie listen to our podcast, and watch the movie at the same time. It is crucial. And we do this every Sunday, 2 p.m. Pacific Standard Time on mutinyradio.fm. We just followed what's really happening. Luke, hope you enjoyed that. That shows at noon to check out Luke's show first and then check us out. And station manager Pam Benjamin has been doing live shows on Sunday afternoons. So make working a hard, working hard. Working she hard. Working hard. Always is. The donate button on our website, or you can go to Venmo and throw some dollars down at Mutiny Radio and then check out what's really happening, of course, with Luke. Uh, Carl, we're going to watch a full length movie. Oh, gosh. Yeah. The reason yeah. why we did yeah. those acronyms up front is because that's the only way you can subscribe to our podcast. So Wait, please, Mike is. You're talking about L-W-A-F-L-M-O-Y-T? <laughs> that stands for Let's Watch a Full-Aid Gag <laughs> <coughs> Movie on YouTube. With my, so, Carl, what is the coughing movie today? Today, we're going to cough out Ghost Shark 2013. Ghost Shark 2013. That's what you put in your YouTube search engine. And look, our audience, they're not dummies. They know that ghost has an H, it's G-H-O-S-T, because it's a ghouly host. What, how, how else would you spell ghost? G-O-S-T. Oh, all right. 
Because so I would go if I had, was invited. 2013, have we been making these awful shark movies for almost a decade? Yeah. We want you to check out Ghost Shark, 19, right. uh, 2013. And who's hosting this movie on which YouTube channel? We will watch Dylan's Entertainment Channel. It might be your only choice. Dylan's Entertainment Entertainment Channel. Playing the brave by Dylan, making sure we have our Ghost Shark on tap. So go ahead, Ghost Shark uh, 2013 on Dylan's Entertainment Channel. Wow, so this is a more recent movie. This was uh, filmed in this millennium. Right, and this movie was actually not in alliance with in aligned with the theory you know what's behind your show in which you learned about old movies you always wanted to see them now you can't this is a little different i was at an open mic and this chris gassler a, a comedian just started going off about how great ghost shark is <laughs> Ooh, so we have some word of mouth about ghost shark and yeah. uh yeah, well, you, that enthusiasm is certainly catching because I can't wait to spend the next two hours with you watching <sighs> Ghost Shark. Which would be cool. Like, I just I want all the, the species to be together so we could gang up on the other species after the aliens. Like, I want to take out a couple. Like, I'm thinking, like I said, rats, uh, sharks definitely got to go. We got to get rid of sharks. I know you're not supposed to say that. Sharks are endangered, right? You guys like sharks, I could tell. The room got stiff as a board. As soon as I dropped the S word, you guys were like, sharks! I'm gonna look down my phone. I'm not listening to shark killing. Guys, I, I'm not I'm not saying it's right, but if I saw anybody, it doesn't matter who they were, any human, I'm team human. If I saw a Hasidic Jew, if I saw a, a, an Arab, if I saw a, a black man, a black Chinese man, a regular Chinese man, Anybody, if they had a if they had a shark held down in some sort of like choked out position, like on land, and they were just punching it, you know, like I know you're not supposed to, you know, kill sharks, but I would definitely like I would take a you know like a pause. Like, can I can I get a few hits in? Can I is this is this a shark game? I want to see the pain in its eyes. I, I just want to get a couple hits in. I want to look at it and be like, I've seen what you've done. I've seen Jaws when I was three years old. I've seen <laughs> Gray, White, Blue. What was that one with Samuel Jackson? Uh, Great Deep Blue? Deep Blue Sea? That's a good one. That's the only other good shark movie. All the other ones suck. Check out Ghost Shark. Forget the comedy. Has anybody here seen Ghost Shark? No? That is an amazing, horrible sci-fi movie. That is such a great, bad movie. The concept, this is a, outside, no comedy, no jokes. Uh, nobody laugh. You all have to be observant, though, because this is an amazing movie. Uh, imagine if I spilled some water here on the floor, the shark can pop out of that and eat like whoever's like around the water, like it's insane. There's a part where it's raining and the shark's just spinning through the sky and it looks terrible, it's amazing. <laughs> they have three JPEGs that they just like move it around. It's the most amazing thing you'll ever see. Uh, only death I've ever seen that takes place on a toilet where someone like sucks, like they fall through the toilet because the ghost like eats the ass. Oh my God. Oh man, that's such a great movie. That's insane that you guys have not, nobody in here has seen Ghost Shark. I've seen it. You, oh yeah, yeah, well you've seen it. Are you looking it up? Nice, fuck yeah. Yes, please. You should show that to your dad. If you can't get him on any conspiracy, show him Ghost Shark. Get him on that. Be like, Dad, there's actually ghosts. That's what's in those caves in the bottom of the ocean. There's ghost sharks. So we want you to, uh, I hope you enjoyed that introduction. But at this point, we hope you had clicked the link and hit pause. We want you to hit pause and move the timer to zero, zero, zero. 
we have a special comedian celebrity countdown who will count down this movie for us. When that comedian says go, you hit the start button and we'll watch the movie together. Carl, who's the comedian today? Today, it will be the man who brought us this movie, Chris Gassler. Are you ready? Yeah. <laughs> I don't believe you. Are you ready? Jesus Christ, Carl. Yes. <laughs> I'm trying to hype the crowd. Okay, here we go. Oh, crowd, are you ready? Hey, make some noise for uh, Chris of Ghost Shark fame. I can't hear you. Yeah. <laughs> we say ghost, you say shark. <laughs> yeah. Three, yeah, two, ghost. one, ghost. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome once again to Celebrity Comedian Countdown, this time with Chris Gassler. Hey, Hello, Chris. everybody. Hello. How's it going? It's good to be here. It's good to well be here. Welcome. Now, you, Chris, are a comedian, but you're yes. just as famous for being an artist, right? Right. Your right, YouTube yeah, those channel. Are things. Yeah. What's your YouTube channel? It's eight quazillion subscribers. Uh, yeah, we're we're pushing about nine quadrillion right now. But uh, <laughs> <laughs> we're, uh, I do small uh, videos on there every now and then. I do a lot of stuff for other people. Um, recently, though, I've been trying to get back into doing things for myself. But you can uh -huh. find that on uh, Spinal Pump on uh, any like in Newgrounds YouTube. But it's Spinal, like the the thing in your back, and then palm like the thing on your hand <laughs> the thing in the center of your hand on the inside yeah. spinal palm got part. it yeah now you got inspired to begin being an artist mm -hmm. by microsoft paint what's that all about yeah so there was an animator um he goes by the name of spaz kid still actually but uh when i had seen him it was like you know i was still very young i was on the internet and uh I, you know you grow up and i used to always want to make cartoons and everything and i was like oh i probably right. have to go to school and stuff and i even as a young kid i was like i know i want to do stand-up i want to i know i want to make films i know i want to be like a, an artist you know so i was like how do i do these things i thought it would take years to get into it and then i saw someone online making a uh like a sonic mixed with pikachu like they called it sonichu and they did like a, a an animation, but it was in MS Paint, basically just like pictures that would side scroll and they were screen recording. But I was like, it, it, to me as a kid, it blew my mind. And I was like, oh my God, you can do this as as like one person. <laughs> and that just opened my, my brain to all the possibilities. Yeah. Terrific. Now the movie we're gonna see today was born out of one of your open mic sets. So you were at the Reserve <laughs> Club open mic last Tuesday. Right. You put on the brakes and told everybody that you were going to not do some comedy for a minute or two. <laughs> you were going to seriously talk to them about one of the greatest films ever. It is Go ahead and let me hear about it. Yeah, that I mean, that was once I had realized that the room had not. I mean, there was only one person privy to the uh, to the knowledge that is Ghost Shark, one of the greatest. Not not only one of the greatest shark movies, but one of the greatest. Uh, bad good movies. You know, <laughs> it, it's a very rare genre where you can find something that's like it's enjoyably terrible like like not that it's a bad movie writing wise or, or like effects or anything in, in any particular way but it's just like you know the, the typical standard movie you look at like the, if this yeah. was in a theater people would be walking out and being just <laughs> like what am i what what is this but the fact that it aired on something like the sci-fi channel you know it, it's it's a. Uh, I feel like most people think of sharknado and they're like oh it's like a cgi like weird like thing uh, but you got to see like, 
you know, like, there's so many shark movies. There's so many bad shark movies. Yeah. This is one of the very few good bad shark movies, you know? Right, right. It's there's perfect for this show. Movies. This show is all about bad movies that are good because Mike Spiegelman hand-selected them from years of research, even though he didn't know he was researching for this show. <laughs> yeah, I, I never knew I was doing research like this, too, but whenever it gets brought up, I'm like, oh, this one, this one, this one, boom. <laughs> I watch that one. Yeah, yeah. Okay, now we are going to all watch this movie together, and you're going to stay with us and watch it, right? Right. Okay, so we need our countdown. Uh, everyone is on Ghost Shark 2013. The channel we like is Dylan's Entertainment Channel. Mm -hmm. You are at zero, 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 and you slid the slider back, and yes. we're ready to, as soon as Chris launches us. All right, guys. Don't forget to comes. press play yourself now. I know. Don't forget to press play, everybody, and I'm going to do a drum roll into the countdown. So this is letting you know that the countdown is commencing soon. All right, guys. The drum roll stopping. We're going to go into the countdown now, guys. Three, two, one, go. Gosta. 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 Oh, yeah. That's right. Three, two, one, uh, goes. Go, well. Three, two, one, gosta. Imagine I said ghost there, guys. Yeah, okay, ghost. Mike, I've got to interrupt right away and say he, this man is our Star Trek connection. Already, we have our okay. Star Trek connection. He looks like the, the guy who plays motorcycle dry, uh, bicyclists in those commercials. You smell nice on the subway. Hey, oh, yeah, this you know guy can I mean? drive any motorcycle, guaranteed, with that beard. Yeah, like the, the friendly uh, gang member who's like, uh, is that Fabrice? You smell good. <laughs> now, his name is Kim. Kim Collins. So he has a girl's name or an Asian name. Mm -hmm. <laughs> Thanks, Carl. Did, yeah, I had DB tell you that. Yeah. Well, his name's Kim Collins. With him is his daughter, Amy. No, his her name's Vicky. Uh, Amy Brassett. I don't know. She grew up in Lake Charles, Louisiana. But she was on 22 episodes of a sketch comedy show called Cedric the Entertainer Presents. I missed oh, that. Oh, cool. Yeah. Huh. I guess I missed it when he presented it. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> Now, I have to say, other than Emoji Movie, this is the first movie whose title is entirely made of emojis. Right? <laughs> Ghost and Shark. <laughs> yeah, no, definitely. This one you could just do in the two. Uh, now, this is for a contest for $30,000, and the shark just ate their prize fish. Mm -hmm. Fucking shark. Fucking I love shark. it. It starts out immediately right into, like, they're already pulling the shark out. So it just it yeah. starts you out is right Is this an error on the YouTube channel, or the movie just starts in immediately? No, the movie does really just go, yeah. like, boom. There's not even a fade-in. It just goes, bam, here's the action. That's how great it is. Because it's <laughs> made for TV is why. Sci-fi. But sci-fi, sci you know, pretends to be movies. Now, look, yeah. Kim is pissed at that, that shark <laughs> for stealing 30 grand. So he's going to shoot it with a yeah. gun. So this is the death. We're watching the origin of Ghost Shark. This is how he dies. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So the origin story starts it out. Look it's very they... much like a Batman film, actually. <laughs> this is Crime Row. Crime Alley. <laughs> yeah. Basically, yeah. This is the essential. This is Crime uh, River, or whatever. There, I guess they're in some sort of lake. Crime Fishing Hall. I knew we should have got Shark Night Fishing Crime uh, River. Oh man, Crime. and for the audience, the 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 driver of the ship who is taking the, these people out on the on the, the captain, charter, the yeah, the boat captain is now passed out. Why? So, Could, is he like Warren Oates? Why is he passed wait, out? 
I well, he got knocked over when the shark. It, it, it's it's Kim's fault. But look, Kim has shot it, and he's got, that's the kill shot. And he mm-hmm. wants his daughter to get his hot sauce, so it really hurts him. Yeah, and then oh to, to really just put 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 uh, you know to really rub it in the wounds, they throw a grenade in there. This is the Meg. Have we seen such hot sauce explosive action? Yeah, this is the only. This is uh, one of the only two movies where a hot sauce is used to kill a shark in the first scene. What, what's the other one? Isn't that uh, in Jaws too? Doesn't that happen? <laughs> no. Oh, maybe that was Jaws three. I think it was yeah. the Meg with, with Jason Statham at the oh, end. He poured hot sauce. He yeah, he's like drinks hot sauce. I'm seeing some fish. All right. <laughs> Yeah, the Meg was like, this is Tabasco. You suck. Is this Mike Love? He was in an episode of uh, Next Generation. It was called Firstborn 1994. That's the one where Worf, we find out that Worf has a son. Okay. Oh, a very special Next Generation? Yes, a very special. But he was like, this guy was in Perfect Strangers once. He was in Cheers once. He was on General Hospital once. He was 20 years in Los Angeles. Born in Texas, you could tell from looking at him. And he lives in Louisiana right now. So he is his stereotype. <laughs> well, maybe they call him. Oh, no, you didn't tell me there'll be astrology in this movie. Okay, you see the cave is glowing? That's very important to the mm-hmm. plot. The cave is everything, man. Big time, big time. Oh, so they're going to go into this magic cave and it's going to revive the shark? Well, the shark's going <laughs> to drift into there like a dummy. <laughs> and now he's a ghost. Yeah. Oh, Ooh. Vicky. Yeah, he Whoa, really got revived fast. quickly. That was very fast. Yeah. Listen, I want to be a ghost as soon as that shark, you know? Mm-hmm. When the body hits the floor, I want to be a ghost and I want to eat someone. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, do it quick. Here comes the ghoster, Kim. Oh, Kim. Bongs his head on the buoy. Thank you, director. Yeah, Baba Buoy. So, wait, the, the sh- ghost shark can eat people? Yeah, oh, so, it yeah. can manifest in the physical world and chew you up. As long as there's any uh, cell, like any bit of water around you, it, it can jump out and transmograte. Like, just, <laughs> you know, see, as demonstrated right here. See, it's, oh, so it's, this is... it, it's glowing. Up so this is captured on film. Mm-hmm. This is more grounded than Sharknado, right? They can only attack on water. Sharknado. Um, okay. Is that the idea of Sharknado? No, Sharknado was probably why this film got born. It was another sci-fi original movie the same year. What happens mm-hmm. in that film is there's like a tornado kind of thing over the Pacific, and it sucks up all these sharks. And then the tornado goes on land over Los Angeles, and all the sharks drop out of the sky and kill everybody. They end up <laughs> right. in lakes. Thank you, you, know. thank you for explaining. Hey, does Lucky Johnson make it throughout this movie? You know Lucky Johnson's in this. He is. He's the mayor. Lucky Johnson was listed. Oh, Richard Mall. Will Lucky Johnson's character survive this movie? No. Or will he be so lucky? He will not survive this movie. He will be eaten up <laughs> on uh, like I'm a lucky. porta potty thing. Oh, wow. We're, oh, so we're, he gets his penis eaten? Great cast of characters here. Now, my son is in this film, and I'll show you my son. <laughs> again. Now, that's Cameron, the mayor. Oh, there he is. You see my son? At the, well, I'll show you when. Oh, with the hair? Now, there's our heroine. There's our hero. That is Ava. Not in the blue. Uh, mm. Hardly dressed in blue. 
the one here with the hoodie on. Okay. So she survives. She will definitely survive. She is our She looks hero. like a survivor. Wow, we are already done with the credits. <laughs> Not since Eggplant's Raindrop has there been an emoji movie like this. Well, who is that spying in the tower? That's uh, Mole. Richard My Mole. goodness, Mole. it's the oh. bailiff. It's the bailiff from Night Court. It's Bull. <laughs> right. With hair. With hair. Yeah. Well, you know, he has the hair and the beard now. Yeah. So that's how you can tell him apart from the 80s version. Mm. <laughs> I like that guy's fro. Didn't we watch a movie with Richard Mole? In no. Movies we watched? Not with me. Mm. No, it, wasn't, it wasn't without you either then. Mole. Look at him, man. He is the best thing about... Well, Chris, maybe you don't agree. I know you've seen it, too. I think he's the best thing about this movie. He always freaks out on them. He's a great... Um, uh, I wouldn't say father figure, but he, uh, he kind of well, like... Well, he's certainly them. a character study. I mean, he does lead... Aid them. He doesn't really lead them, right? It's always Ava who's leading. Yeah. Is he Ava's father figure or the ghost shark's father figure? No, he's not a father figure. He's old. He, he's not. Now, he's, no, he I actually talk, killed the ghost shark. I talked to the director, C.E. first, and the way he <laughs> trained the actors was that, you know, as an actor, if you see a shark, you say, shark! Mm. And as an actor, if you see a ghost, you say, good, good, good ghost. <laughs> so he worked really hard with the actors for them to say, good, good, good ghost, shark! It's essential, essential for mood and feel and look. And... Oh, yeah. Okay, well, so we're establishing that his wife has died and he's a drunk. Mm -hmm. Are they related? No. I don't, I don't know. It, they don't cover that in the script. I don't think they were related. But there's no ghost wife? There's no, yes, yes, there is a ghost wife. You will see for one second a ghost wife. So can full disclosure, how many ghosts am I gonna see? I'm gonna see a ghost wife and a ghost shark. Uh yeah, it's really about the ghost shark. He is our ghost. There isn't like Yeah, he's like the main character. Now there's a story about the eighteen hundreds, all the settlers uh here in um uh it's called Smallport, Smallport, Louisiana. Uh there is a story about all the ghosts in 